Hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Smart Building Series. And today we are talking about enhanced health, well-being, and productivity in commercial real estate. And I'm really happy to um, have Owen from uh, Delta Developments, from uh, based in the Netherlands, I believe. Um, hi, Owen. Thanks for agreeing to uh, have a talk with us today. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, it's uh, a pleasure to be uh, here with everybody. Thank you for the invitation, James. Um, for those of you joining here in Europe, good afternoon. For those joining abroad in the United States, good morning. <laughs> and for the rest, good whatever time of day it is for you. Exactly, exactly. So I will let you do you, um, your own intro in a bit, but just a few things that I wanted to mention before we get started. Uh, first of all, as always, this uh, we like to be interactive here. So Owen's going to uh, present um, some of, uh, um, sorry, give a presentation about um, a project that he worked on uh, not so long ago. And it really, I think, gets to the heart of some of these health, well-being, and productivity issues. And then uh, after that, we uh, do a question and answer session. So I encourage everybody to uh, save your questions or type them in when you want, and I'll be able to get them, and I'll be able to put them to, to Owen later on in the webinar. Um, also, I need to say a um, big thank you to our main sponsor here at Smart Building Series, and that's uh, Project Haystack. Uh, they are an open source initiative looking at semantically tagging um, IoT data and especially around buildings. So if you are uh, doing IoT projects um, in your uh, you know, commercial building, then I absolutely encourage you to go and check out their website. That's project-haystack.org. They're doing some really good stuff about uh, being able to tag and, and, and look at um, data that's coming from different devices. Um, yeah, and then finally, I'd like to say um, next year, uh, there will be other opportunities to sponsor um, our webinars. Um, we generally do one a month. So anyone who's interested in uh, sponsoring, then please get hold of me. You can go to our website and find my contact details there. Well, that's pretty much it from, from me now. Um, Owen, over to you. Let, let, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what you've been working on. Thank you, James. Um, and um, so I'm a real estate developer. I grew up, as many of you may be able to hear, I grew up in the United States. I moved to the Netherlands to do a master's degree uh, in 2005. So it's been some time ago. Um, I come from a, lo a long line of, of real estate developers and construction people. I can count on one hand from both my mother's and father's side of the family that uh, of those that are not involved in real estate. So wow. my first job was a lifeguard at the local pool, but ever, ever since then I've been uh, really working in construction, started swinging a hammer on the sites, building houses, and progressed up to being a developer um, in, in commercial, logistics, residential. We do pretty much anything we can, retail. We just don't do special utility buildings. Think about biotech or hospitals or things that are really specialized. Uh, about in 2007, 2008, we came across a gentleman named William McDonough uh, and his partner, uh, Michael Browngard, Dr. Michael Browngard. And these two gentlemen had created a, a concept called the cradle to cradle design principles. Started out as the Hanover principles. And we were looking for a way that we could really bring impact into our business. As real estate developers, our, our objective is quite literally to build the world of tomorrow. And when we started asking internally each other, are we really contributing to a positive, enriching, beneficial society and environment to our activities, we were hard pressed to, to give that a, a yes as an answer. So we figured we really needed to re-examine the way that we engaged in the market, we, the way that we engaged with our supply chain, the way that we engaged with our customers and all across the value chain. And Cradle to Cradle for us became a, um, a lightning rod for how we could alter our organization uh, and everything we do in order to deliver what we call triple top line value. So it's not about looking at the triple bottom line, it's about how do we enhance the value generated towards society, a la people, towards the 
and of course uh, doing so in a market conform business case. And in that way we call it triple top line value. What I'm going to talk to you today, of course, there's a bit of an introduction on how we applied Cradle to Cradle in one of our um, perennial showcase projects that's called Park 2020 here uh, by the Amsterdam Airport. Uh, it's a public area. Anybody can come and visit. I invite all of you and I'd like to extend an invitation to all of you to come and visit. Um, and uh, how we applied Cradle to Cradle in that area, both in the common spaces between the buildings and in the structures themselves. Uh, the area that I'm really going to deep dive on is the health, well-being, and productivity of uh, the constructions that we produce. Correct. And we'll, we'll identify a specific case study for Plantronics. Many of you may know them. Many of you may know of them, but not know you may know you know them. <laughs> they are the market leader of headsets and what they call now wearables. Um, and they are... Uh, suppliers to many of the Fortune 500 companies. Um, and actually, very neat, they produced what was called the Snoopy headset uh, for the astronauts that landed on the moon. Uh, so some of the most iconic statements uh, of, of the last century being the eagle has landed, and that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, were transmitted through a Plantronics headset back to Houston. So we'll show you a little bit about their building. Um, I've set my timer on a hard stop at 20 minutes to help guide me. I can get enthusiastic about this, but I really want to engage uh, much more in a dialogue. So we're here and I'll do the best that I can to answer as many questions fully and completely as I can. Great. And at this point as well, yeah. um, we will be, just to so everyone out there, um, the slides will be uh, we'll put online after the, this and it's also being recorded. So. You know, um, if anyone's wondering whether they'll be able to get hold of these slides, then we will put them online afterwards. On That's our fantastic. And, my, and our contact details are provided at the end, and James has all those as well, too. And we're pretty approachable people, so if you have any further queries, please don't hesitate to shoot us a line, drop us a line, shoot us a mail. And, uh, yeah. Great. James, shall we go? Let's do it. All right. So the title of the presentation today is called Enhanced Health, Wellbeing, and Productivity in Commercial Real Estate. What you're looking at right now is a shot down what we call the spine of Park 2020. Uh, buildings on the left and the right are all part of Park 2020. A little bit of an introduction of who we are, um, the, the required a little bit of uh, corporate spiel, here we go. Our firm, we're an independent family-owned company, which means that we're not actually driven by quarterly performance. We can take a lot more of a long-term objective into the market. Uh, we are a 30-year track record. Uh, we're currently in the second generation of family ownership in the development company. To date, in those 30 years, we've realized over 180 projects. Our core markets are the Netherlands and Germany. Uh, we have previously had offices open in France and Italy. Uh, we've had joint venture partnerships in the United States, primarily around the D.C., Virginia area. Uh, and we do a lot. We're very active in advice and consulting in Luxembourg um, with mostly the Luxembourg national government and looking to uh, transform Luxembourg City. Uh, our current development pipeline is just north of a billion uh, euros. Uh, and we are a shop of about 30 people, so that's quite a substantial sum to do with a small number of people. That means that we are a network organization. We partner with large construction firms in the markets in which we engage, and we do a lot of the front loading. From this respect, we're, uh, we could be seen as a traditional developer. We do not build and hold the assets. Most of our customers are not only those people occupying the buildings, but we build for a number of large pension funds, uh, real estate investment trusts, and the like. We consider ourselves to be a purpose-driven business. Uh, and of course, we are a private organization, and we believe the first thing we are here to do is generate healthy profits. I do not personally believe that profit is a dirty word. I think that the capital markets and the economy is an enormously powerful tool to create something. The question is, what do we want to create? Do we want to create a positive impact? Or um, are we content with 
the uh, standard operating procedure of how we are take in a take, make, and waste economy. Another purpose of ours is to improve the lives of the people who engage with our structures. Uh, we uh, seek to enhance the environmental resilience within the communities in which we work. Uh, we oftentimes, uh, instead of delivering a gift at the completion of the project, uh, we are many times either engaging with a local charity uh, or engaging with a local nonprofit and, and sending a percentage of our profits to a local nonprofit that's engaging in environmental cleanup or some other social uh, endeavor. We like to challenge ourselves. Um, we're not afraid of competition and we're not afraid of, um, of really striving ourselves, of pushing ourselves. Uh, and we are we sum up when we hire new people of their curiosity, their ingenuity, and their continuous desire to improve themselves and better themselves, not just as developers and people within our company, but we hope that they uh, can become better human beings by engaging with a company. That's a, it's a tall ask, but uh, that is something that we uh, strive to achieve. How we do this is uh, we, we don't only look at return on investment or internal rate of return or the net present value of a project. Those are for sure important drivers of whether we're going to accept a project or not. But we look to identify what we call stakeholder value or broad-based broad value creation. Um, but then we, of course, do so via economic return. So in this way, we really want to use business as an engine for change. We believe that it's not about erecting monuments or things that are not necessarily market conform. That's not going to inspire anybody to engage in this behavior and this way of developing. So it really needs to be market driven, everything we do. We leverage cradle to cradle as a design principle for the circular economy to enhance value. Uh, that might be a question if any of you are not familiar with what the circular economy is. We'd be happy to talk about that in the Q&A session. To date, we've delivered roughly over 1 million square meters of circular property. And we are always trying to create a learning organization. As a network company, one of the key challenges that we face is knowledge leaving our organization and being retained by advisors or other partners. So we really have to work very hard to internalize that knowledge so that we can leverage learning um, at one project across the portfolio. And enhance our create our development. This is the design of the bird's eye view. This is the bird's eye view. Of course, it's a DPI image. Right now, we're approaching about 60% completion of the entire project. Uh, it has been a success. The timing was not fantastic. We initiated the project uh, in around uh, 2005, 2006. Uh, so the world looked very, very different in a short time thereafter. However, during the largest crisis that the that the Netherlands has ever seen in the real estate industry, we continued to build. And I think that that was really a testament to uh, our approach to viewing sustainability as a quality control paradigm. And so for us, sustainability is not the end objective unto itself. It's simply something that we do. And it's an indication for us of quality assets. This is the tagline. This is the world's first full-service cradle-to-cradle inspired office park. And as a quick recap of Cradle to Cradle, there are five elements within the Cradle to Cradle uh, paradigm. And the reason that we really liked Cradle to Cradle for this project is because it was a very broad uh, assessment of, of these elements that were all important to us. Uh, material health really front and center. Uh, we don't believe that quality assets are those that put toxic materials uh, into their um, buildings and poison the inhabitants day by day. Um, at the same time, it's also a much more resilient investment. Uh, nobody uh, in the 70s, we all thought that asbestos was a fantastic product. Nobody today wants to have any asbestos buildings in their portfolio. The redevelopment of those are costly and very problematic. Material reutilization means that all of our buildings are designed for disassembly. We typically build in steel, uh, we are not necessarily a uh, large concrete builder. We build in, in steel beams, uh, posted beam. And uh, then we have, do have concrete floor plates, but those are prefabricated concrete floor 
plates. And so they can easily be uh, removed to create staircases within these buildings. Our renewable energy strategy is one of clean renewable energy. So we don't believe that burning trash, waste, pellets, you name it, is a form of clean renewable energy. We look to harvest that from the sun, from the wind, tidal, although tidal is challenging, um, and it's primarily sun and wind. Water stewardship, well, we're Dutch, so that's uh, pretty much in our DNA. Uh, the, the groundwater, we, the project itself is in the Harlem Amir, which is the lowest point of the Netherlands, uh, the country known as the lowlands. It is actually below sea level, a few meters below sea level, meaning that the water table on the site is very, very hot. So we need to really be uh, very considerate of that. And social fairness, of course, this is not only uh, how we engage with our clients, but it's to the best of our abilities to engage within our supply chain to make sure that we are not purchasing materials or uh, supporting organizations somewhere within our supply chain or value chain that are engaging in inhumane practices such as uh, slave labor, child labor, you name it. We definitely do not support that and we do not want anything to do with that. Um, this is a statement, I think a very eloquent one from from William McDonough, and, and it goes to the heart of what that cradle-to-cradle sentiment is, is that till now, sustainability has been about reducing our harmful impact. It views ourselves as inherently negative onto the, to the planet, and then we create CO2, that's bad for the planet, how do we reduce that? So instead of, but uh, reducing your negative footprint doesn't per definition mean that you're good. Um, it's a bit of a extreme example, but uh, as a father, if I would hit my child two days a week instead of five days a week, does that make me a good father? No, it makes me a monster still. So what we want to do is we actually want to define what is good, what is the positive activities that we want to engage in, and how do we maximize value driving to those. In doing so, visualize what you see as a collection of materials here on the left side. Um, that is your inventory, that's phase one. From there, we want to have some form of third-party independent assessment, a very rigorous one that looks down at um, parts per million, if possible, uh, into the toxicity characteristics, into the circularity characteristics, water stewardship, energy, uh, and social fairness. And from there, what you see on to the right is, of course, we do want to minimize that negative impact, of course. We do want to consider CO2 reduction strategies, but for us, that's not enough. We want a robust uh, landscaping and green roof program that um, sequesters carbon and actually sticks carbon in the right place, that provides a um, green roofs, for example, are a great example of how do we sequester that carbon, but th at the same time, they also provide nesting grounds for migrating birds. This is a good example of what it means to optimize positive impact instead of simply minimize negative impact. In doing so in the very beginning, now I want to take you back with me into 2005 and six when we really started getting going on the master plan. These were very lofty concepts and goals. And we, as a construction agency, we wanted to really bring it down and set to earth and say, okay, what are the practical steps we need to take to do this and to get going? And one thing that we understood was that we had a large area development. It's about 15 hectares of land. And we had a phased out development, which meant that per phase, when we opened up new phases of buildings, we should actually be learning from the phase we just completed and continuously improving and enhancing the structure. And that's what you're seeing here. We elected to focus on water, energy, biodiversity, and materials. And then we had an entirely separate human-centered design program because that was so important to us. And these were the goals that we see. If I can point you down to the bottom right into materials, what you see down there is that at the bottom under zero is that big dark line. And that is a conventional building right over here. And then what we have is we're at the materials, when we started asking companies what's in the stuff that I'm buying, we really got a lot of blank faces and I don't knows. So the conventional building was undefined materials. And what we want to do is systematically reduce the amount of undefined materials in our uh, portfolio of a building while at the same time focusing in on our material selection process to systematically eliminate what we would consider to be problematic or even tolerable materials 
And at the end here, at the final time, only focusing in on optimizable and optimized. Um, you will notice a 2018 deadline that has been kicked out to about 2025. And again, that's crisis related. But uh, in terms of our energy program, this is much more about how the site interacts with the buildings. And this is really an um, advantageous situation where you have an area development um, where you can leverage investments in your water and energy across the entire site and therefore take advantage of economies of scale and economies of scope to really uh, drive effectiveness into the entire site here. And what that looks like is as follows, is we have a centralized hot and cold storage system right around here. This is producing enough volume for all of the buildings. All of the buildings are actually connected via the heating and cooling system here to that hot and cold storage system. It works on water, and what you see here is a very Dutch canal. And in the wintertime, we are taking the cold water, sticking it in the ground where it's a consistent temperature, and that, that is then the cooling for the summer, and vice versa in the summertime. Uh, the water is not hot enough to actually heat the building, so each building requires a heat pump. However, an economic uh, uh, consequence of this is that every building, because we centralize those systems, every building's technical room is roughly 3% smaller. That doesn't mean that the building itself is 3% smaller. That means from a development perspective, the gross to net or the gross floor area versus the lettable floor area is 3% to our favor, uh, which drives 3% value increase to the actual real estate. Now, you'll see the same here then for all of the water. What we're doing is harvesting not only the water on site to drive into that canal, but we're also harvesting all of the gray water and black water eventually from the buildings. Right now we harvest gray water. We use something called a heliophyte filtration system, which emulates the banks of rivers. So think about grasses, cattails, reeds, um, those things, which are, um, yeah, as nature's a beautiful designer, naturally set up to uh, filter toxins out of groundwater before it enters into uh, those streams and rivers. So we connect all of the gray water, which is thinking about in your hands, uh, in the sinks, in the showers, it is everything except the toilets. Uh, and that goes into this heliophyte filtration. It then enters into the main water retention pond, which is a canal. It either feeds into the heating and cooling system or it is pumped back into the building to use in the toilets. At the very end of completion, we have the capability to uh, um, uh, attach an anaerobic digestive system, which will then make the entire water program um, capable of going uh, off-grid so that we could actually then have from gray water to black water, uh, black water back into gray water, and then so and so around. And one thing we cannot do, we always will need to import clean water into the site uh, to come out of the sinks and showers, but that has much more to do with uh, regulation and Legionnaire's disease. The master plan centers around a park, it has many open spaces, um, and actually this master plan that you're looking at right here was a winner of the American Association for Landscape Architects. Our uh, William McDonald Plus Partners is the master planner for the entire site. They're located out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and we used an American landscape architect. However, um, after we created this, we uh, got in contact with a local Dutch organization. It was a nonprofit organization that works on behalf of butterflies. And uh, it's called the Flinderstichting or the Butterfly Association. This is Holland, so even the butterflies have their own uh, trade union. Um, and actually what they showed us was that there was three critically endangered species of butterfly local to the Harlem Amir. So we revamped our selection of, um, of landscaping to be food sources and breeding grounds for these critically endangered species of butterfly. That's another example of a triple top line area that we can select plants. It doesn't cost us any more money to do this. It's just I want this plant instead of that, yet we can create a positive environment to hopefully have um, help bring these critically endangered species of butterfly back to the community. Here is an example, here you see a lot of the, the site here. One thing that you see is we have an on-site farm and that's another social program, it's a social working farm. Uh, we work, we develop out of land positions, so we keep an option on the land um, 
that we will execute once we have a tenant that wants to come to the land. It cost us at one point about 80,000 euros to continue to extend that reservation onto the land. And we engaged with the local municipality to say, look, we also have a secondary program we can do. It will cost 30,000 euros to design and run for a few years a social farm. Uh, and so can we give you 50,000 euros instead of 80,000 and we will reinvest the 30 into this farm. It provides jobs for people in the local community with what we call distance to the labor market. So it's people with um, slight physical or mental handicaps or people transitioning out of addiction treatment centers uh, that need a little bit more consistency in their life and they need a job. We pay them above minimum wage and all of the food goes into the restaurants, into the park. It's uh, farm to table, herbicide, pesticide free. You also see an area here where we grow wildflowers and this is open to the public where people can come and pick flowers. And we actually also have a farm. This has been a, very, a great success. So we've actually built a little farm area, but interesting enough is it works completely on the honor system. We have a, uh, um, a price list and then everybody just simply takes their squash or cucumber, you name it, lettuce, tomatoes, and then they put the money in and we have had no problem with this. That green strategy also extends inside to the building, but I'll pick that up again in the biophilia section. So deep diving into one project in specific on site here, we're going to talk about the Plantronics building and here it is. You can actually see a representation of the logo of the Plantronics building here. Um, Plantronics bought their own building. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but actually it's a testament, I think, to how we engaged the company uh, in designing this place. We designed from the inside out. In the beginning, they wanted a um, lease agreement, and it was a long-term lease. We don't accept anything under uh, 10 years here at Park 2020, and we were looking with them at a 15 to 20-year lease. But partway through the actual uh, initial decisions, they indicated that they were uh, very pleased with the way that the process was going and instead of doing a lease agreement They wanted to shift to a sale and purchase agreement, which was entirely possible We were happy that they wanted to to make this not only a temporary home, but a permanent home So that enables us to do a lot more of uh, Design that is more representative of the tenants. You'll also notice this panel here The facades are not only designed to optimize how the lighting comes in, so north uh, on-site orientation is so that we can maximize solar gain uh, in terms of natural lighting while at the same time playing around with how open and closed the facade is to minimize heat gain. At the same time, it's representative of the Doppler effect, uh, which is also representative of the activities of the company inside. Human-centered design is something that I mentioned. We really do build our buildings inside out. So we really are spending a lot of time engaging in the floor plans and how the building can be seen as not only four walls and a roof that house personnel, but as a tool for corporate performance. And once we really have a very good idea of that program, we'll then wrap it in an attractive skin. Um, how we engage in this is really through data. Um, if we all have pet peeves, I'll let you know one of mine. Mine is ignoring data. And we do know now that actually uh, the effects of the interior environmental quality, things like air quality, does have a direct effect onto the performance of users inside the building. This is a study by Harvard and Syracuse University that I uh, encourage you to check out. But we also must use this data and technology uh, and recognize that they are enhancements to human solutions. So they have to support the people. So human-centered design, I don't believe in at Delta, we don't believe in technology for technology's sake. We think that that can make a building cold and uninviting. Uh, and it really has to be all about the people and then look at technology to actually help support them on a day's work. Measuring this from a third party independent um, source is extremely important for us. We don't want to be uh, the butcher certifying the own meat. Plus, we also uh, are human at Delta, of course, and we can uh, think that we're on the right path, but data can actually take us down and show that we should be focusing on other areas. So we want to make sure um, that we have an independent company telling us what we're doing and how effective we're being. For that, we used Leasman Organization. They're based out of London. They're the largest global survey of workplace effectiveness with over 400,000 uh, respondents. And here's what you can see in there. And um, they look at three things specifically, workplace 
workplace activities, workplace or the physical features and services. Think much more about amenities. Uh, it's an employee-driven survey, so it's uh, an employee reporting uh, how effective their workplace supports um, uh, things that are important for them. And it's an 11-minute standardized test. We do that pre, so we do that in the building that they're in before they move uh, to Park 2020, and then we also measure them after they've moved to Park 2020. That pre-occupancy uh, survey is crucial for us, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit why. Um, on that, and of course, you see there's over 400,000 respondents. So this is uh, the actual um, Leesman results. Here you can see the pre and post. The pre-score was 71.6, which I can assure you is a very, very high score. Leesman Plus is really the top echelon. Um, so we really had our work cut out for us, and I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say that we felt um, a good amount of pressure to perform. Uh, what ended up happening was something that even we were all surprised in. It, we we crushed the Leesman Plus, to, to put it lightly, and actually this building scored in the top 3% worldwide. So it was a, a great success, and I'll explain to you a lot of why that was. And here are some of the other indications. These are results from uh, the World Green Building Council study on health, well-being, and productivity, of which we do a number of results and we work uh, closely with, so you can check out more about this building here. Um, uh, in the World Green Building Council. Some of the economic benefits, of course not important, um, is that there's a large PV installation on the roof uh, that generates uh, in total a net present value of 600,000 euros in savings in energy costs throughout the 25-year guarantee period of those panels. Uh, there's a 2.1 million estimated value per year of enhanced firm productivity driven from workplace performance. I'm sure that there's going to be a question on that. So let's dive a little bit more into how we calculate that uh, in the Q&A. And um, the reduced financing costs were value-driven towards us as a developer. And that was elimination of things like um, uh, a lot of the financing costs uh, uh, associated because we had to carry the loan. But when they bought the building, then those rolled over to them. So here you can see how we use the Leasman data. So the blue is in, uh, is, talk, is giving the five top areas of importance for Plantronics based on where the office that they were in before moving here. And then we looked at areas that were opportunities for improvement, things that either were important, as you see, 63% of the um, uh, respondents felt that uh, relaxing and taking a break was important to them, but only 61% felt like it was supported. And while that seems like a high number, it's actually very low when you're looking at Leasman Plus buildings. So um, we looked at the activities, features, and facilities, and this helped us target where are we going to drive capital investments into optimizing uh, the building. So we really targeted specific areas. We also worked together with Arizona State University to identify areas that were inputs to productivity, performance, health, well-being, and psychological benefits, these being air quality, lighting, thermal comfort, acoustics, design layout, and aesthetics in nature. And so I'm going to walk you through now really practical execution of the crosswalk between those Leesman results and what we did to achieve those scores to enhance, uh, to drive value to the top five performers and also to optimize those areas for improvements. And then I'm going to also show, you'll see in the top left-hand corner, one of these icons here that will let you know also that it's satisfying one of these as well. So when we first met with the building or with the building owner, this is the uh, managing director at the time, his name was Philip Van Hout. He asked us to build him an acoustic temple and being a good developer, we said, sure, we can do that for you. And then when we were retreated back to our offices, we said, well, what the heck is an acoustic temple and how do we do that? So we really linked on with um, professionals that focus on this day in and day out. We include them in our team. Some of the results, of course, are within the activity-based working sphere is providing great acoustics regardless of where and how they're working. And um, this was both in the uh, floor tiles as well as the ceiling tiles, uh, as well as everything really that, that is encompassing that space. You see also that their product of Plantronics also plays a role in that as well. And there's something called Soundscape, which is for us a really cool innovation and this was something that Plantronics themselves designed being a pro in the work in workplace wearables and acoustics what this does is it actually has a meter and you see these speakers per zone 
And the meter actually uh, measures decimal levels uh, and groups of people. So you can see it can check people congregating and decimal levels going up and down. And it actually creates a sound barrier around that group of people. Um, think of this, it's commonly been seen as white noise and it would be something like like um, like the white screen on the television at the end of the evening. Um, but for many people, myself included, this is extremely unnerving. So what they ended up doing was they introduced and they did a ton of research on what a very relaxing noise is. And it's actually the sound of a babbling brook or a stream. So what they have, they're, they're piping through the speakers here, the sound of this running stream. But then they also, and that again, uh, gets louder or softer in real time, depending on the decimal levels to actually insulate people from, um, sound is not a bad thing, but from noise. So, um, and what they then do is they create these water walls in here so that psychologically you can connect and say, oh, that's where the sound of the water should be coming from. Everything's okay, there's no big leak. And one of the big questions we get, well, what's the effect on people visiting the restroom? Well, yeah, it's, it's actually surprisingly not a fact. That was one of my first questions as well. But um, so we also built in the middle of the building something called an acoustic temple. And this is where all of the meeting rooms are, areas like coffee corners and things that would generate a lot of noise. And we keep that insulated from the floor. In terms of the layout, we worked on what we call the four C's. We believe that people move between concentration, collaboration, contemplation, and communication work. And because of our ability to work mobile through our telephones and through laptop computers, we can actually move between these types of activities quite seamlessly throughout the day, as long as we have good connectivity in the office. So we looked at all the different departments and we asked them, how much time are you spending in all of these different activities? And that gave us a very good, uh, now behind this is a, is a um, calculation uh, in an Excel sheet that enables us to then allocate per square meter per division. This gives us a really cool typology of how these different departments are working. And then we can start laying the building out inside like this. So this is really focusing in on how that company works. And then by having a flexible floor plate and grid, we can adjust that accordingly as departments will grow and shrink over time. And here you can see a cross section of the building. Creativity is a hard, is also one that we want to be, um, is a hard measurable thing that we also want to provide. We do that mostly through outside spaces and people are able to engage in the park. Um, they do so openly here within the park. You see uh, that takes place a lot over food. Um, we have many shared meeting rooms and presentation areas like you see here. This is in an adjacent building that people can rent. So we share the facilities over the park. And so this is also about cross-pollination of ideas. In terms of the, uh, the thermal comfort, heating and cooling, this is the solar studies that we do to make sure that we're optimizing the on-site, um, uh, uh, where the building is laid out on-site uh, in order to maximize sun, but then also worry about heating and cooling. And again, this is the studies of the facade that we did to do that. Lighting is also about how do you bring light deep into the building. Uh, we do that through atriums and light corridors, as you see here, but then it's also about how is light on the uh, work floors and in different lighting room, in different meeting rooms, and what type of atmosphere do you want to create with light? You can play with that. Thermal acoustics we actually have in the um, building in the management system. So when you want to reserve a meeting room, let's say these four people here want to reserve a meeting room uh, for one hour at uh, 4 p.m. at about 3 p.m. or 3:30 p.m. Um, if it's available or even 10 to this room will start already optimizing for CO2 levels for four people as well as heating and cooling uh, how hot and cold it is uh, and it will keep the uh, interior environmental quality optimized for that meeting so that's linked directly with their reservation system ventilation also has to do with the ability to provide natural ventilation and we're doing a lot of studies across the park to make sure that we can bring natural airflows into the buildings and structures as well. And then ventilation occurs through the choice of the ducts here. We bring fresh air into the building every single night uh, and completely change out all of the air uh, at night. So every morning our uh, workers are coming in with uh, fresh air. 
Biophilia is really a very integrated approach. Every single work floor has massive green walls, uh, not only at the sides, but also in the middle. Um, the water walls are also playing, having a biophilic um, play as well. And the amenities, this is a la I think one of the last slides that we have. This building is chocked full with amenities. You see a gym, you see a customer engagement area. Um, what you're actually seeing here is a silence room where it's completely quiet. Um, what you're seeing over here is a complete music studio where people can actually have a Plantronics band where they can record. Um, down in the parking garage, you already start to see the customer journeys uh, initiated where people can link with the brand and then follow that all the way up through brand engagement and experience areas with their sales team. Of course, we have food, uh, areas for presentations and large meeting areas, and then sport and connection with the outside areas as well. So I realize I'm a little bit over again. I get enthusiastic, so apologies for that. But um, you this don't is us, and uh, we look forward to your questions. You don't have to apologize for enthusiasm. It's welcome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> yeah, it's a well, I mean, it's, uh, there is a lot to unpack there. So I doubt, I'm sure we're not going to be able to um, cover everything. But actually, the first question that came in, uh, and by the way, um, anyone who wants to ask questions now, is a very good time. Please put them in. The first one is is the one that I was going to ask, obviously, and the one that you said would be asked. Um, how did this two point one million euros um, estimated? How did you how did you derive that figure from enhanced? Uh, firm? Yeah. So what we what we end up working with is again one thing that maybe I should have put in there as well too is that not only ASU and Leesman, but we work with KPMG as an accountant firm that has a, a measurement metric called true value. And they're looking at how do we actually find hard data and monetize some of these softer qualities like enhanced product productivity and performance. We did that primarily against the payroll. So again, with these self-reported um, scores, we can see how people are actually scoring and we can relate that directly to the payroll. And it's an extremely powerful tool and it's one that we dare not yet monetize on the balance sheets of these assets. We use this primarily to identify value creation that can drive to that business. Of course, the building alone is not the only thing that's going to drive people's performance. So uh, an engaged HR department, a good training program, um, a lot of these things about a good, healthy corporate culture, these things will drive people's also their their performance and productivity. Um, but what we're looking at is what are those building specific things? How are they scoring uh, either higher or lower in the Leesman score? And to be perfectly honest with you, there are some areas where we did drop in the Leesman scores, so that's taken into account as well. Uh, and then we relate that into the plus minus gain based on the payroll. And we can break that down per department. We can take that as a total of the payroll in the organization as well too and the enhancements are then related back as percentages of payroll gains and um 2.1 million seems like a lot and i promise you it, it is if they were going to lease a building like this they would probably be spending about anywhere between 1 to 1.5 million euros per year just on lease uh payments so 2.1 would actually uh, eclipse every year the lease that they would have to pay pay on those enhancements um, and uh, again we do that third party with kpmg making those calculations for us as well and they're in the room making those presentations if you want to have more information and dive deep behind uh, how we calculate that i do advise you to visit our first world green building council study that is on a project called vundalong 47 you can also type in Hirama, H-E-E-R-M-A, uh, World Green Building Council, Health and Wellbeing and Productivity in the Built Environment. And there we have a much more deeper breakdown behind those, behind that numbers. You can see where certain areas are going up and certain areas are going down. Yeah, and I think that's super interesting. There's a lot of, yeah, I mean, a lot of focus on that now, and rightly so. I think that we, we need to be able to, as you said earlier, you know, it's, um, we need to be able to use data. We need to be able to measure these things and, and measure the performance and be able to actually quantify 
you know what's being done and what the return on investment for clients is so um yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, James. And and again, for full disclosure, I would say right now, what we how we view this is the business case is not made or broken off of calculations like this. What we want to do is start identifying the value that's derived from from these types of applications to the company. The CEO gets this all the time. They understand it very well. The CFO also understands it and supports it at Plantronics and at Hirama but they're not willing to take it onto the books actually. And I actually would support them on that. Um, we need to have multiple studies confirming this. So one time you do it, it's an incident. The second time you do it, it's promising. The third, fourth, fifth time you're starting to create a trend of this. So we will continue to monitor and measure the value proposition and the, the, the euros that are being driven to the firm per, uh, 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 performance based on these items right now. But again, this, this amount, I can, what I can say is promising, is the percentages of value that we've seen um, driven at Hirama, the first building we did, were confirmed again in Plantronics. So we have done this in two buildings and we found it to be the same in both. So check back in with us again as we continue to, to progress through this, but it's going in the right direction right yeah, now. That's, that's great. As, that's as comfortable as I'm willing to be. At sure. And of course you, you, and you know, there's a lot of, you're not the, the only guys looking at this as well. So I think it was great that you contributed to the world green building reports. And, and I think there's, um, there's a growing body of evidence out there. So that's, that's, that's just great for the industry. Um, something I wanted to pick up on, uh, I think it was slide 29, where you showed the floor plan, the flexibility. Um, tied into something, This one here? Yeah, and it tied into something that I heard last week at a conference in London. He said this guy was saying that they often get asked, one of the main questions he asked, how can you future-proof a building? Um, and he said, you can't. <laughs> the only way, really, is flexibility. Yeah. You, you know, I think we build. missed the term agility as well. Yeah. So we talk about both flexibility and agility, and it's not necessarily can we alter these spaces. So if you take a look at something like the hardest thing that you have to account for is the load bearing on the floor plates, right? Yeah. And in office buildings, you have the maximum amount of load because you have the highest density, which means that they're already able to become physically and, and technically they can be apartments in the future. So that's why we see now the ability to alter, you know, um, structurally vacant office buildings into apartments. It's, it's done now in the Netherlands. But so what we do is we try to engage in broad floor plates. We take a very tight grid. Sometimes it's about 180 or 120. Sorry for the Americans out there. This is in meters and uh, centimeters. Um, so it's, um, which is a very flexible grid, which means that they can move these partition walls anywhere along that. Raised cable floors is a very important one so that you can have data and connectivity anywhere and everywhere in the office. Mm, yeah. And then again, those flexible prefab floor plates can easily be taken out to create staircases. So the buyers of many of these assets, we have large institutional investors, people like Standard Life and Aberdeen, which are great investors. And something that they've mentioned to us is what they they like the the reduction of risk of these buildings and they call what they call obsolescence risk is that if something unforeseen happens and the entire office market erodes in this area we can easily convert uh, these into housing uh, and then have another play on the market at the same time it's easy to convert to the second tenant as well for their needs um, and so, again, that's why I think we need to talk not only about flexibility, can you change these, but how quickly and how cost effectively. And that's what I mean by agility. And the more we can reduce that barrier for change, the more the investors like to hold these assets. And we've seen that come back in the exit yields uh, that they're paying for these buildings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it gives you a little bit of insurance, I guess, about, you know, changing market. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, what happened in 2008, um, it's likely to happen again at some point. And if the, so if you're building some more flexibility into, into the building, it, it means it can be, if it needs to be repurposed for something else, which would be very useful, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And investors are willing to pay for it. 
that is one thing we do see right now. They are willing to pay for that. Mm. Something else I um, I picked up on, I thought, which which was interesting, and I thought, you know, obviously what what we do at Memory is more look at you know technology in the building space, and and I thought you mentioned obviously the biophilia and what they did with. Um, you know the, the 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 noise, the acoustic in, in those open spaces. Um, if there was sort of one technology that you put into this building that you had to pick out and say, like this was provided the best return or or in an investment or the or was the most popular, was there anything that you know the the, the employees are feeding back saying like this is great, this is this is technology that's really helping me be more healthy and productive. I would say it's got to be this one here. It's that it's that soundscaping acoustics that Plantronics now provides. And maybe, James, that could be an interesting webinar to have in the future is um, we could reach out to Plantronics on behalf of memory and see if they wanted to do a webinar. Yeah, um, this is something that they're commercializing right now. And if I look at this right now, the technology, it's a learning system too. So there's AI incorporated that helps that system get smarter and get better. Um, if you look across Leesman scores, the number one complaint is acoustics. And the number one um, effector of productivity, people's productivity, is acoustics. And we see that where people work, the workspace, the work desk, is still like hollow ground for the, for the employee. So being able to really, if you want to go with these open floor plan offices like this or a semi-open floor plan, we at this building chose 30% open, which is a big number actually, um, then incorporating a technology like this combined with a Plantronics headset, of course, a noise canceling headset has had massive improvements. The second that I wanna show is a low tech solution. And I thought this was really cool is as you look into the carpets here, you'll see that there's this dark gray here and this light gray area. And this is actually a bi another biophilic design. This is a floor tile by Interface, and they have a whole collection that is based on nature. And, and this is supposed to emulate a, um, a, uh, floor can a floor of a forest, right? And what you end up seeing is you see these kind of not clean lines, a little bit more organic form over here. And the lighter space, really emulates, let's say, a trampled path through the grass. And if anybody out there is a hiker, I am myself, you tend to follow that little trail. Something that came up in the Leesman study is that people were extremely aggravated by people walking behind their desks. They felt that they didn't have enough privacy and that people could really look at their screens. So what we did was we actually chose this carpet and then we created these big zones in the middle and unfortunately, you can't see, but off to the side here, along the side is also all this light carpeting. And that creates almost this path. And we've observed, been observing this um, as well. And the results and the feedback coming back is that people are not working, walking behind the desks, uh, that they actually do follow these paths throughout the office. And that is also then reflected in the post occupancy leaseman scores as well. So I think that these. In terms of high tech, this thing is really, the soundscaping technology is fascinating and very effective. But these low tech solutions, don't disregard those as well. These are also can be equally powerful. The, the key is, is to analyze the data that's coming in from that Leesman score and finding creative solutions for the, for the challenges. Are they using uh, any technology to look at how people move through the office? You know, some kind of occupancy and analytics or heat mapping? Now we have we we've introduced that, and in Holland we have very strict privacy laws. Um, this also then translates back. Now um, headquarters for Plantronics is San Jose, so it's right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So they're very open to this type of technology. Um, they recognize that it could be a powerful tool. Um, however, we want to remain cautiously optimistic on that at the moment because we need to find a way to really protect people's identities and privacy. And that was something given to us. This is now 
um, EMEA headquarters, and there are something like over 35 nationalities. So while we in Holland or maybe the Americans working here um, may be more open to this type of thing, there are definitely societies and cultures that are not. And when you have such a diverse workforce, you really have to take that into consideration. So what that primarily runs through their HR department, and they're much more engaging with different departments to see who should work when. They actually see that they're working on organizing different departments, not working on Friday or not working on Thursday um, in order to kind of keep the building occupancy also um, at a, a little bit more or less dense level. Mm -hmm. um, is it a hot desking office or do they have assigned seating? It is and it isn't. Um, so the capability is there. What we do find is that the data shows that people really want to personalize their workstation. So um, Plantronics has opened up with a hot desking uh, situation uh, in the previous building. Um, there are floors where hot desking is made available, primarily the first floor. But the second and third floor in departments, people were given their own workstation. Um, and that was also... Um, uh, per choice. So we do see that it's actually becoming a lot of these things that we had early in like 2005, six in Dutch, we call that het new America or the new way of working. Mm. Um, some of these elements like hot desking were not necessarily super productive. And you do see a split in types of workers. Some people are much more mobile. Um, and those capabilities are provided. Some people are much more static in those capabilities. The key is, is that you need to be very successful on their desk. People still do the majority of their activity and work at their desk. So if you get that wrong, you will never score at least a plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it's, again, back to flexibility, right? If you give people the choice, perhaps some people are more comfortable with hot desking. Others actually want more, like you said, to have some ownership of their their own space. Yeah, you're very, yeah, you're very right, James. And that's that's a discussion point that you need to engage your tenant in early on. And we can make reasonable guesstimates when we're talking with people much more in the creative field, like ad agencies or design shops, or um, there's a big boom in gaming here in Amsterdam. And so we're you know if we're working on doing a, a floor for a gaming company. They might be a little bit more interested in these super flexible hot desking scenarios where if we're working with someone like Swiss, Swiss RE or a big bank um, or a large multinational, they might be a little bit more inclined to go with a lower ratio of flexibility, hot desking and activity based working. Mm. So it really is per company. That's something that, 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 that adjusts. Yeah. And I guess this is where, you know, the culture of the company comes in and, and and they wanted obviously you know it, it, I guess in some respects like Plantronics is is a is an ideal client right they're very engaged in this they process, are um, and they and they you know really sort of drove this I guess and and gave you a clear brief but I get but I suppose not everybody not every company is like that of course but no and that is that of course the clearer the brief and the clearer they are about what they want and what their intentions are, the better we can actually do that. What you do see is that many times for many people out there, maybe listening is it's not uncommon to have a client where you you're thinking at them, Oh, just make up your mind, you know, like, come on, give me a straight answer. That's if you find that from your clients, don't worry. You're not alone. Many of us find that. And we find that on the best of clients. And that's why engaging in an exercise like this, like not just getting leaseman data, but trying to structure it and then parse it in a way like this can really help you kind of coach your client to identify what's really important to them. And it's not us Delta saying, this is what we think is important for you. We're saying, look, this is third party independent data of what your people are saying is important to them. Let's collectively co-create intelligent solutions to drive value to these top five because it's important to them or to really solve these problems because for example let's say um, only eight percent of people are satisfied with the leisure facilities on site or nearby that's a huge problem 
we need to come up with a solution for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's, I wanted to ask about the amenities as well, but unfortunately, um, we've come we've come to an end. But I guess, look, um, Owen, if if people want or have more questions for you or want to, um, you know, find out more, um, any any advice for them? How can they get hold of you? How can they get hold of some more information? So yeah, so we're available here. Here's my contact information. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, of course. You can reach out to us here at park2020.com. That'll come into the office. And if you say that you heard this webinar and you'd like to speak to uh, Owen, then that mail will find me. Um, and then I'll reach back out to you. I will always, I like a lot. Um, there's a book by authors called Guy Clapperton and Philip, Philip for Hout. Uh, Van Hout, excuse me. He was the old CEO of Plantronics, and he was one of the driving forces behind this. And it's called the Smarter Working Manifesto. Again, that's Guy Clapperton, Philip Van Hout, the Smarter Working Manifesto. That's a fantastic book. I'm um, also really check out Leesman. Really look into their their website. They do a ton of research on you know, what is affecting and parsing the data between those 400,000 respondents and saying, what do we see across cultures? And they do a lot of these reports and those are all free. Those are online. The publications are there. I get a whole rack of data from there and, um, and reach out to them, local leaseman reps. They're highly knowledgeable and they're there to help. That is great. And just from me, um, We've recorded this. We'll be public. We'll be posting the the audio and the slides up later. Um, so yeah, it just reminds me to say um, we've got another webinar coming up next month. That's going to be looking at uh, data tagging IoT in smart buildings. And and just then, just to finish, say thanks very much, Owen. Really appreciate you taking the time to to share this project with us today. My thanks to you, James. Thanks for inviting me to be here, and thanks to everybody that uh, that that found this interesting. Yeah. Because of you, we can do these types of things. So exactly. thank you all. Thanks. And uh, just bye for now. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.